Amen. Please be seated. I think David's been listening to God because I think he's, the songs he's chosen has almost preached my sermon before I, I uh, get there, so um, I'll call it quits. <laughs> no, not really. I'm not going to waste all that preparation. It's also great to have Kynan back uh, from holidays. You know, you, you get so used to working as a team with others that when they're away, you feel like an arm is missing. And in a sense, that's how God wants things to be, that we operate as a body. Um, and so it's great to have you back, brother. And I feel whole again now that you're here. Just uh, next time you're going to catch a bag of fish, invite me, okay? I should be saying that. Yeah, yeah, there's no fish there, though. I want to start with a question. Is there something uh, in your life or in the world around you at the moment that you would like to be different or better in some way? It might be something personal to do with your family, your marriage, your health, but it might be kind of the wider world. I think we're all kind of with the geopolitics of Russia and Ukraine and things like that. That just We don't want that to happen. And I suspect if you're saying yes, there is something that is, I wish was different, I wish was better. It's because you know deep down that it shouldn't be that way. I think we all have those experiences in life along the way. You know, we've lived with COVID for how many years? Two years at its mercy. We see what's happening in Ukraine. And maybe there's things in your personal life, a bit like me, you know, my physiology is such that I tend to have, can have a, a chemical kind of depletion in my brain, which can mean I can get anxious if I don't do have medication. But for me, just wishing it to go away isn't going to change it. I need help beyond myself. Thanks, Talila. You know, there are things that we can change. There are things that we are responsible for. And there is a time and a place, if you're saying, yes, I don't like the way things are, for me or someone else to challenge you and say, what are you going to do about it? But there are things we know are beyond ourselves. No matter our intentions or our skill or our motivation, we can't actually change that. The other few nights ago, I was watching the news and there was a story of a young family with a three-year-old daughter with this very rare illness that I'd never heard about until then called childhood dementia or infantile dementia. And this little three-year-old was being robbed of life. She would never grow up. She would never mature beyond that stage. She was losing her mind. She was losing her speech. She was losing her ability to do things physically. She was going blind and and eventually she would die. And this family was seeking to love her the best they could and give her a quality of life while she still lived and yet in this deep grief. And there was something silently inside of me just screaming out, this should not be. And yet there was nothing I could do about that to change it. Just like some of those bigger picture things in the world I can't change. And so the thing is, when we think about that, we could go down this path of, well, does that mean I have to live with a second-rate existence? Does that mean I have to live as a a victim to circumstance? Does that mean that I need to um, live 
kind of in bondage to my own imperfections in character or knowledge or wisdom and that of other people in the world and how they might impact me. Well, I want to say to that, no, no and no. Because the fact is that you and I are not the only part of the equation of our existence. Thanks, Talila. You see, we don't exist in a vacuum. We don't exist on our own. And so I want to read these words from uh, Colossians that Paul wrote that help us understand that there's a bigger picture at work here in our lives. Thanks, Tallulah. Paul wrote this in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1. He said, the son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is in this with us. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, that's us, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. There's no sphere of existence that exists outside of Jesus' presence and influence. All things have been made by him and for him and through him. And all things exist for him. And he holds all things together through his power and his grace and his presence. You see, God never called us to live in isolation, but to live in this life that is infused by the presence of Jesus by God's presence himself, that we don't live on our own, but we live with him surrounding us and infusing every aspect of our life. And so while there are limitations to what we can do, God does not have such limitations. He's not limited like us. And so God's plan in creation was always that we would live in partnership with him, where we do those things that only we can do and are responsible for and trusting God to do those things that only he can do that he is responsible for. And so Paul goes on in his letter in the Colossians and explains one of those things that only Jesus can do that we could never do for ourselves. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, that's us, and things in heaven by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, the very thing that we remember when we share in the Lord's Supper together. Once you were alienated from God, you and I, and we were enemies in our minds because of our sinful behaviour, but now he has reconciled you to Christ by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy, blameless, justified, Treated as righteous, treated as if you'd never sinned, as God's special loved child, without blemish and free from accusation. And it's in that context this morning that I want to talk about this powerful dynamic of prayer, that prayer has the power to change things. First of all, a definition of prayer, which simply is conversing with God. Prayer is nothing more than talking with God. And so that involves listening, hearing, receiving, as well as speaking, expressing, maybe in, word, in, in kind of emotions and feelings that words can't express, and asking. 
And there's a beautiful example of this in the Old Testament in Exodus where it talks about Moses who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt for 40 years through the desert till they got to the promised land and put up with all the shenanigans of the people as they grumbled along the way. And Moses had this quiet place. He set up a tent outside of this travelling community and he would go there to talk to God and and it summarises it this way in Exodus 33. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's prayer. What a beautiful picture of what it was like. Sometimes it's not even talking. Sometimes it's just being still in one another's presence. And if you have loved ones in your life, there are times where just being together is enough and communicates so much. And so as one of the psalmists said, be still and know that I am God. Now, talking with God is a dangerous pastime. Because when we talk with God, things change. Firstly, it changes us. Because as we talk with God, we are opening up our hearts and our minds to God's input and God's influence upon us. And secondly, it can change our circumstances because as we talk with God, we are inviting God and all that he is into our life and our situation and the wider world and giving him permission to act. So I want to drill down on those two things a bit. Firstly, talking with God will change your mind and your heart and therefore all that flows out in how you live your life. Paul in his letter to the Romans said this, don't copy the behaviour and the customs of the world. Don't go along just with what everyone else does and everyone else says. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing and perfect. Many years ago, I heard the story of an Aboriginal elder from Arnhem Land. And back in the 70s, there was a Christian revival that swept through many of the Aboriginal communities in Arnhem Land. It was significant in many ways. And one of the Aboriginal elders, as he uh, became a Christian and he began to follow Jesus and he read the Bible and he began to learn about what it meant to follow Jesus, he started looking at his cultural heritage and some of the things he'd been taught growing up and what Jesus said. And sometimes he didn't know how they would fit. And so he literally would go for a walk in the bush and say, Holy Spirit, where does this fit? Do I hold on to all of that? as I follow you. And he would listen for God's answer. But there's nothing new in that. People have been doing that for centuries. The prophet Isaiah, two and a half thousand years ago, wrote of his experience of listening to God. You read it in Isaiah 50. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. You see, when we allow God to transform us, it changes what we do in our engagement with other people. And he goes on and says, morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. Therefore, I have not rebelled or turned away. Of course, if you're going to hear God, you need to listen to God. 
And why should we listen? Well, lots of reasons. The psalmist put it well, I think, and we've sung about it in our songs in Psalm 145, because the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That means you. And in Psalm 119, God's word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet to show me the best way. We listen because of who God is. Thanks, Tallulah. So what will you hear when you're in conversation with God? Well, you will hear the truth directly from God's heart. Not a relativistic truth that, you know, it's kind of the trend of the day or what someone thinks, but you will hear the truth that is eternal, the truth that brings life, that builds up, the truth that is morally just, the truth that is full of love and grace. And so as I've heard often, maybe I'm a slow learner, You'll hear things like this. I am God and you're not. Stop trying to solve everything yourself. Stop focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what I can do. You know, none of us can overcome our sin problem. None of us can put ourselves right with God But praise be to God through Jesus. He has dealt with that issue for us so that we can step into this relationship with God with confidence and faith and gain this fullness of grace that God gives to each one of us. You'll hear what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear or expect to hear. When I was growing up, I loved uh, Colts footy over at Middleton. Help that our team won the premiership over about 12 years straight. So it was a good time to be a Colts player for Milton Football Club. But, you know, I so wanted to play a good game. And my love language, I didn't understand it then, was words of affirmation. So after every game, I'd say to my dad, who was always there watching, did I play a good game today? And I think I tormented my father over those years because... He didn't want to disappoint me or hurt me, but he also didn't want to tell lies. And I can still remember one day when I asked that question quite pointedly and Dad said, no, you didn't play a good game today. You hardly touched the ball. You know, God in his wisdom and his love for us loves us too much not to tell us the truth. At times that'll be a yes. At all times it'll be a yes, but there's a better and different way. At times it will be no, because God knows what's best. And at times, and I often get this one, wait. You'll also hear words of affirmation, words of love, words of acceptance and comfort, words that bring peace, that override your circumstances. How many times I've needed and experienced that. Words of conviction and correction, but always with words of forgiveness. And here's a better way, let's do it together. Words of direction and calling and encouragement. Words about you and words about others. And sometimes words telling you something of what is to come or how you can prepare yourself. The last illustration I'll share today came as a a quiet prompting to my memory as I was planning my sermon this week. You see, when we take time to converse with God and to listen, 
Our view of ourselves changes. Our view of the world changes. Our expectations change. We begin to learn what it means to love others as God loves us, how to forgive and show compassion. As Paul said in those verses in Romans, to understand what God's good, pleasing and perfect will is. But of course, if we're not conversing to God and we're not doing it with open ears, then we're not going to hear those words and our life is not going to be changed. We're not going to be changed. Now, talking with God not only is going to change you on the inside, but talking with God can change your circumstances and it can change the world. Because as we talk with God, we're inviting him into the situation, giving him permission to act. That means God's grace, his love, his forgiveness, his power, his intervention, his provision, even his miracles, as we would call them. And so throughout the Bible, as as you read it from beginning to end, there's story after story as individuals and people together, even whole nations, came to God and said, Lord, we need you. We can't do this, but we need you to be at work in our situation. And we're encouraged to do the same. And so Jesus' biological brother, James, who became one of the disciples, wrote these words. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Prayer is also acknowledging God's goodness. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the, midst, in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed sins, your sins will be forgiven. And then James finishes this little passage with these words, the earnest prayer of a righteous person, a person of faith, someone who trusts in Jesus, has great power and produces wonderful results. And he goes on and mentions an example, Elijah. Elijah was a prophet many centuries before James. At a time when Israel was being rebellious and sinning and in rejecting God, they were hurting each other. And during the midst of that, Elijah felt led to pray that there would be no rain, there would be a drought for three and a half years as God's punishment. And it happened just as he prayed. And then as they began to turn and soften their hearts towards God, uh, Elijah felt now was the time to bring God's blessing and he prayed that rain would begin and it did. And as James says, Elijah's just a person like us. And he asked God to intervene and God did. And Jesus has taught us that our first habit, our first inclination should always be involve God in our situation. And we can ask because that's who God is, a good, good father who loves his children and looks after them. That's who Jesus is, the good shepherd who leads us by still waters into green pastures and cares for us as his flock. And that's who the Holy Spirit is, the counsellor, the guide, the comforter, the one who enables us to do the things that God has called us to do if we rely on him and ask him. And we can because of the victory that Jesus won that first Easter when he died on a cross for us. 
And when he rose again in victory three days later, because when Jesus did that, he won the victory over our sin and our separation from God. He won the victory over disease and death. He won the victory over Satan and the influence of evil in the world and all the ills that flow out of those things in our world. And so when we pray and when we ask God to intervene, what we're doing is saying, Lord, that victory that Jesus has won for us, apply that now in this situation in our day, in my life. We're not asking God to do something new in a sense. We're asking God to do what he has already won. Thanks to Luna. As I said earlier, there are some things that only we can do and one of those is to ask God for help. At the dedication of the temple in the, uh, under King Solomon, probably around 1000 BC-ish, there was a great prayer prayed for the people of Israel and part of that prayer says this, and you can read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Sometimes it's about us praying as an individual. Sometimes it's about the community of faith or even a whole nation praying. 82 years ago this month, May 1940, Britain had entered the war, they'd sent the majority of their armed forces into Europe to help the Allies against the expanding uh, war machine of Germany. But things turned bad for them very quickly and the Germans surrounded them on that north coast of Europe opposite England on the English Channel and pushed them back into this little shallow beach called Dunkirk. 380,000 Soldiers set up to be annihilated by the Germans. At that point, the British High Commission figured that at best they could get 30,000 soldiers off the beach because it was shallow, they couldn't get their big naval ships in and a whole range of things. But then something happened in England. Through the King of England, the nation was called to pray on Sunday, May the 26th. The churches were full. A million people lined up outside the churches who couldn't get in and prayed. Millions of people in their homes prayed that God would rescue these soldiers, that he literally would save them. And then things began to happen. Miracles, you might say, of circumstance. The first one was this. The British High Command was able to get together an armada of uh, private boats, down to almost little like speed boats through to bigger yachts, but they're all private vessels, large and small, some of which could get into this shallow beach so that they could go across the channel and bring them back. Hitler made a strategic mistake. Against the uh, desires of all his generals, he took a lot of his soldiers off of that surrounding force that were there to annihilate the British and send them to southern Europe, unexplainably. 
100 kilometers down the coast at Flanders where a lot of the German Air Force was stationed, there was a huge storm and the majority of planes that were set to come and strafe and bomb that beach and kill the soldiers couldn't get off the ground. And yet here at Dunkirk, only 100 kilometres away, it was flat calm. People said the sea was like glass. There was a sea fog set in that meant those few planes that did get up couldn't see the armada of boats to bomb and strafe them. And then other things happened that were recorded afterwards. 400 soldiers in one group on the beach exposed, nothing to hide behind. The few aircraft that got through at that time came and strafed them for quite a while, pass after pass with their machine guns, just shooting them into the soldiers on the beach. And they all just, all they could do was dive on the sand flat. A chaplain was with them and he threw himself face first on the, on the beach and he covered his helmet with his hands. That's all he could do and he prayed as he laid there with his face in the sand. And then it went silent as the planes had used up all their bullets and they started to get up shaken and kind of checking themselves and checking each other. No one was killed. No one was hit by a bullet at all. No injuries. And the chaplain, as he got up from the sand and he looked down where he was lying, his, his, where he had laid was silhouetted by this line of where the bullets had hit the sand. Things happen when God's people pray and ask God to be part of their situation, where they humble themselves and say, Lord, I can't do this, we can't do this. We don't even deserve for you to do this, but Lord, help intervene. Do what only you can do. Apply that victory that Jesus has won on the cross in our day, in our situation, in our world right now. So why don't we pause and pray right now? And as we pray, what is it that maybe God needs to say to you, that you need to hear? What is it that you carry this sense of this should not be? What is it that you need God's to ask God's help with? Let's pray. Loving God, we humble ourselves as people of old have. We acknowledge it's by your grace, not by our goodness that in many ways we don't deserve your help, but out of your love and your grace and your will through Jesus you have come and you have committed yourself to us and to be part of our lives, to bring good, to build up, to heal and make right, to do things we can't even imagine or know how to ask. Lord, it's you who stirs our heart to know that this isn't the way it should be. And Lord, you know what is best for us and you know how to speak truth to us that will bring life and build us up. And so, Lord, in this moment of prayer, we listen, but we also speak.
There was a time when the disciples asked Jesus as they began to understand this thing of grace and forgiveness, Lord, how many times do we forgive? And Jesus basically gave them a number which was kind of like infinity. You never stop forgiving. And Jesus is saying to someone or someones today, you're counting your sins and how many times you've repeated something. You haven't used up his grace because he keeps forgiving He doesn't hold it against you, but he holds out his hand that you would take his and let him help you do it differently next time. As we just draw this moment to a close, would you join me as we pray for the people trapped in Mariupol in Ukraine? 100,000 civilians. That God would do again what he has done before. And so, Lord, we pray for those people in Mariupol, Lord, that in your grace and your power and your love and your mercy, that you would intervene and make a way out of that city for those civilians. Lord, make a way where there is no, make it a a highway straight and level and smooth, safe. Lord, that you would hide them from the eyes of the enemy. Lord, that this wouldn't, even if it doesn't rely on the enemy calling a truce, but Lord, by your grace and power, you would rescue them and literally you would save them, Lord, we pray. Do again what you have done before. And Lord, do again in our own lives and circumstances those things that you have done countless times over the centuries for others as they've reached out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this wonderful song of faith.